You're listening to Art Root Radio, and I'm your host, Michelle Lockery. Art Root Radio is an important platform. It's a platform of storytelling, it's a platform of healing, and it's a platform where we come together and make the invisible visible. The story that I am sharing on this podcast is a very important one. While I was painting the sunflower mural, a story came to my attention of a man who was interned and his daughter, and the daughter's name is Anne Sadeline. During the painting of the mural, her story swirled around with all of the other stories. One of the people who came and interviewed us all and did a little bit of a clip of a film went up and interviewed Anne. I saw a picture of Anne, but I never got to talk to her. We put her story in part of the story, and we put her father's story in part of the story. But his story is deeper and more layered than I could even have imagined while painting. I had the great pleasure of getting to talk to Anne. Anne is an amazing woman. She speaks of her father's journey with much passion, and she has lots of questions, lots of questions of why this happened to her father. She, doesn't, she never got to meet her father, but she got to hear the stories. And it is those stories that guide us as we move forward. There has been no solution, if there can be one, to this story of internment. It is still very little known. It is still not told. And although there has been, I would say, opportunities to try to tell the story, It is only in the next generations can those stories be told. I spent a lot of time with Anne, and I listened to her with great pride that she would would speak to me, but much more in great awe. The connections that were made possibly connect my Guido to her father. Her father was in my hometown area. Her passion for this story to be heard and for the pain and the shame that these people endured when they were just trying to find their way and they were helping each other and helping this country grow. This story did happen. And why is it important today? Because during COVID and the place that this world is in, it is absolutely vital that we look to the past as we form a new future. I love my country. I love my province. I love being a coal mining daughter, but I do know that my family came from much hurt. We can't erase the seniors. We can't erase the stories. COVID is stealing like a giant pink eraser from grade school, the very wisdom that we need to move forward. Our podcast is going to expand and we're going to talk to more seniors. And talking to the sunflowers is we all have a story and we all have a part of growing the infrastructure of this country. Canada is a very, very young country and we made mistakes and we will continue to. But if we take a lens to the past and listen, we can change the future. Listen to Anne as she shares her story and her wisdom. Feel her pain and see her pride as you see her story on the radio. Good afternoon and welcome to my podcast. Hi, good to be with you. So this is a very important conversation we're having. Um, In my history, I found out that I am an internee descendant and a lot of people in Canada still don't know what that means. 
the fact that Ukrainian people were put in concentration camps in Canada has still not been fully told. Can you please tell me something from your family about this very important issue? Yes, I would love to talk about my father because he was a very important person in my life and I lost him very early on. My father came to Canada in uh, 1910 with his brother. He was, his, he was 16 and his brother was 20. And they came to their older brother, Yuri, uh, who already had a farm in Bruderheim, Alberta. So they stayed there for about a month and then they decided they didn't want to be farmers or, and they would become miners. And they, they realized they would have money right away and, and they had always wanted to send money back to their family in Austro-Hungary. So uh, they, after staying with them, they first got a jobs in uh, Alberta. And uh, there, I know that with his very first paycheck, uh, my father bought himself uh, one of those, his, ma or his master's voice gramophone at, that had cylindrical records. And he was, he started to study English very, very hard. My, my father's name was Vasil in Ukrainian, but, and his brother was uh, Ivan John. Uh, when they did their papers on arriving in Canada, they, they, the person who did the papers changed his name, Vasil, my father, to William. And of course, uh, Ivan to John. Anyway, um, these boys decided to stay with the mining, and they started to learn about the the profession, if I can call it that, and I do, of mining. And they became very very good, and they they uh, decided that they would leave Alberta and go to British Columbia where there were more mines and they ended up at Vancouver Island at a, at a mine there. And uh, however, in 1914, they were laid off and uh, his brother John got a job very quickly. He decided to go into hard mining, whatever that is. And William went to Vancouver because he, he thought he'd stay with the coal mining. And he thought being in Vancouver, he might find a job more quickly because it was a big city. Anyway, it was while he was in Vancouver that my father, one afternoon when he went out for a walk, was accosted by a plainclothes police person who asked to see his uh, his registration papers and of course on the registration papers it said that he was from Austro-Hungary and at that time in early uh, in 1914 our conservative prime minister Robert Borden had passed a law, the War Act, the War Measures Act, I should say, I'm forgetting the, the M, the War Measures Act, it was the first one, I think, that was passed in Canada, and in it, it said that all unnaturalized immigrants from countries that were at war with Canada were to be called enemy aliens, and that they could be arrested at any time and held without charge. Well, my father uh, certainly fit the bill for, for, for the Canadian government. Uh, he was strong, he was single, and they preferred single men. And again, he was Austro-Hungarian. 
I'm enthralled listening to you because, of course, of my history, but you are a wonderful storyteller. So then they've arrested him. And what year would he have been arrested? 1915. 1915. So you can only imagine what they must felt like. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I told that I, I could have added to that from the beginning because he, he, that that first paycheck was very important because he he bought that that gramophone I think it was called and and he, it was very important that he learned to speak English right away. That gramophone represents an awful lot. The gramophone must have represented, number one, he needed to speak English for his own safety. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they detested being in the country and not know because they, hadn't, they didn't have any English. My father could speak Polish well and read and write in Polish as well as Ukrainian. And, uh, but, and a little bit of German living in Austria, but the Germans, the Austrians never taught them anything in school, you know, didn't bother teaching the Ukrainians any, any German to become good citizens. But any, anyway, but it did help him with his English too, you know, because the Polish alphabet and the German alphabet are the same as in English. Right. I wonder what kind of music, it would be so interesting to know what music he liked. My dad? Yeah. You know? I really don't know. I mean, I know he liked Ukrainian songs. Uh, like I was only eight when he died. There so, was, there was, and my father never talked to his parents about about uh, about his internment, about when he was in jail or in in the camp. So we're at the point where he's been arrested. So from your memories. Anne, and this is such a beautiful story as we continue, what do you remember from the stories of how he was treated in the camps? Because Oh, and I will, that's what I will talk about now. Because I think that's the importance of the story is oh, that, yes. right? Yes. How, were, how were our families treated in Canada at that time? Yes. Do you think, so I'm sitting here thinking about just the stories from my grandfather, he wouldn't talk about it, so I have to listen to other people's stories about, you know, I have letters from my great aunt talking about him going to work. What do you remember? Were they fed during the camps? Do you think they were fed well? Let's start with, he's been arrested. And okay, uh, so my father was arrested immediately when he was accosted by that, that plainclothes police person. And uh, he, he ended up very shortly after that in Fernie, B.C., in the Morrissey concentration camp. And he didn't know what had hit him, you know. He, he, he didn't know why he was there. He, he, uh, he, he wasn't a felon. He knew that. He wasn't a criminal. And, he, and finally he realized he was arrested only because of where he came from. And I can imagine that maybe when this happened to him, he must have thought about, you know, the posters that he had seen in Galicia in, when he was uh, in Austro-Hungary, the, the posters that were put up by the Canadian agents telling them that, that Canada was a, a land of freedom. Canada was, you could get free land if you agreed to work it. You, you had freedom of education, freedom of religion. I, I'm sure my father thought, why am I here? Why am I in this, this, this hole? This, because he found out very soon that, that Morrissey was a hellhole. It was a terrible place to be. And the, 
were treated with disrespect and often and they had soldiers with rifles and bayonets that followed them when they went to work and these soldiers would use sometimes these these uh these rifles to prod them the, the bayonet they use it to prod them they, they would swear at them they would call them names like like you dirty bohunk and 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 used a lot of very very bad language and, and they couldn't understand what what was going on because they hadn't done anything they were not criminals and yet they felt they were being treated like criminals because they were they were as as uh, borden had called them enemy aliens i'm imagining this young man who as you describe having a record player who I've seen those posters, imagining him coming with all of those hopes and dreams in a suitcase and for him to be, he would have been a gentle soul. Yes, well they did come with, with dreams and hopes and so much expectation and of the freedoms because they didn't have them in, in Austria, you know? so. Uh, this was a, a terrible, terrible disappointment to him, you know. So anyway, they, they, they ended up in their camp. I, I think I, I didn't speak about, I spoke about the, the, some of the uh, inmates had mental problems. Some of them couldn't speak a word of English, so they really didn't know what was happening to them. All they knew is they had to work. They were, they were, it was slave labor. They worked eight to 10 hours a day, chopping trees mostly, but some construction or, or cu cutting brush uh, in, in the forest. It would have been so, brutally cold. I'm from the Fernie area. That's my hometown of, of Michelle Mattel Sparwood. So my family's from there. It is bitter cold there. I cannot imagine I mean, you, it's bitter cold. It's a bitter cold winter there. And and the, my father said that the, their clothing in wintertime was always inadequate. And they had shoes with holes in them or boots with holes in them. And they would often put newspapers, stack them with as much newspapers as they could get in just, just to, have, to put on a dry shoe if possible. I can't even imagine, Anne, I'm sitting here remembering as a kid, where your face would freeze, you would go outside in the winter in that area, and the, and your face would freeze within like I my son one time got frostbite just by playing outside on the streets. So can, I can't even imagine, you know, their housing would have been inadequate. I'm sure as well. Oh, I'm sure it was. It wasn't well, uh, you know, heated at all. That's for sure in the winter time, and 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 my, my father looked at all these abuses and he decided to form a prison committee and he wanted to negotiate with the with the uh, commander of, of the of the prison but apparently he wouldn't he wouldn't speak to them because they were they were Austrian and enemy aliens and he said to them well you'll just have to go to the um, Swiss Council the Swiss were neutral, were a neutral country during the war. And so by the treaty, I think it was called the Hague Treaty of nine, 1907, uh, there was the, uh, the neutral country was to look after the prisoners of war in any, in any uh, conflagration. And so um, they, they were, they, but our people were not called prisoners of war. In fact, that was the reason that Mr. Borden didn't call them prisoners or civilian prisoners of war. He called them instead enemy aliens, and he could get around and make them do slave labor, is what I call it. Without having to, without giving them the, the protections that were their rights to have. They didn't 
have protections. I know my father, as I said, he decided to 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 start a camp committee, though, that and he he would do things like organize a strike when when conditions got in absolutely intolerable. They would strike, and of course he'd get into trouble with that. And I know that he was put in something he called the black hole, which uh, just recently um, Andrea Mellish told me the black hole she thought in in Morrissey was a tiny building they had built with no windows and only a door, and it wasn't bigger than an you know an outhouse. Uh, so, it, and they had to stay there. My father would, would be sentenced for four or five or I don't know how many days, and they would feed them only bread and water at, on these occasions. It happened to him more than once. So, but my father really thought about his other prisoners and himself, and he was always looking for some kind of justice. He, he, he even learned the word social justice when he was in there, and he talked about it a lot. What a what a brilliant spirit he has! I can't imagine being in a in the black hole in a building that you couldn't lay down in. One of the cruelest things: imagine not being not only being cold and and hungry, but not being able to stretch out. Yeah, and be there for several days. It would just be, I mean, and for no reason other than you know for trying to organize. Wow. anybody answer their letter? lack of protein when they were working that hard and staying warm would have caused so many health issues like I mean the strength that that our our four parents had in the times that they were is just I, I I'm such a blessed person because I love to hear these stories because it's so important for me to share with my kids because we come from good stock and it, it, the, the resilience Uh, console, if it came, 
but the Swiss Council Council was was uh, later not not there in in Vancouver, and it was the Swedish Council that um, that uh, was in con was the person that that my father could write letters to, and he he did not look after the, our prisoners very well. But the Swiss did try, I must say. I can't even imagine, and with him having the strength to write these letters and to be the rebel to try to make the social justice happen, he probably would have been treated even worse. Yes. My father wrote letters with, sometimes with the help of the uh, YMCA. They would come in, young people that could read and write about, well, they were English or English-speaking. And they would help my father write letters. And in some cases, he wrote letters all by himself. You know, and I could see the difference. I could see the letters. I, my, my brother uh, went to Ottawa to, to look for information about my father's stay in prison and got quite a few papers and, and put them in a sort of a book for, for us. So, uh, this is where we get some of our information. And the other information that I have comes from my mother because he talked to her a lot. And to my aunt, my aunt Eva, they spoke to them about his, his trials in, in prison. It's so important that you have those documents. It must be interesting to see his handwriting. You could see his yes, path to yes. the handwriting. It's almost like you can touch him, right, by looking at the handwriting. some of his first books he bought, like like a book called uh, Elementary Geology, because when he decided to become a miner and he was going down into the earth, he, he wanted to know more about what was, what was there and what was happening, and you know? How marvelous is that? That's, that's almost like a window, knowing what he, oh, into his soul, knowing, because I mean, what we read and what we, that is who we are. Yes, yes, it, it, it is. Well, anyway, when he when he was in in Vernon, uh, uh, you know, it, it there were, the end of the war came in uh, November of nineteen eighteen, the Treaty of Versailles, where um, they reestablished Poland as a country. And the, the village my father had been born in was now Poland. It was no longer Austro-Hungary. And I can just imagine my, my father's feeling, you know, that war was ending. So that would mean that he should be let free. He should be liberated. But it didn't happen. And it was while he was in, in uh, Vernon that he got a letter one day saying that his his brother, his precious, precious brother, with whom he had come to Canada, had died. His brother had taken a job. He didn't go to, he had taken a job in a place called Phoenix, British Columbia, in a copper mine. Uh, and that's when Bill didn't want to, go, want to do that. He wanted to, to be a coal miner still. And, but the news of the death of his brother, they, they had promised they would never, never part. And all of a sudden, his brother was dead. And my father, instead of getting liberated from Vernon, he was sent on to Kapuskasing, the last concentration camp left in Canada. Oh my God, Anne, that would just be, I'm just sitting here, my soul hurts. I, I can just imagine how he felt at that time. He had come to Canada for freedom and, and you know, to, to help build the country and to build a better life for himself and his brother. And uh, he was getting more prison. So, of course, that was, a, that was a terrible blow to him, I think, to have to have to go to to Kappa's Casey. 
Campus casing was uh, was uh, in northern Ontario, and it, it was uh, uh, about a thousand acre experimental farm. And they were doing again cutting down the trees and and uh, making making it making the land uh, usable. Usable, yes. Usable, using... And anyway, but again, the, the conditions in in campus casing were not better than they were in Morrissey, practically, you know? No. And so again, he became active, and and in and, and, and a defense... I don't know if the defense committee was already there or if he started it, but he was again active in it. And because they were living under the same bad conditions, the same, the same hunger, the same uh, lack of food, and very poor quality food. And I know that he went on a on a strike, a hunger strike. My father, while he was there, and he developed a heart condition. Uh, so he, it, it was, I think, a very difficult time for him. Well, the lack of food and the lack of nutrients, and if he had ever picked up any kind of infection, would have totally damaged his heart. Yeah, I guess that's what happened. Yeah, because that would have just, the resilience that he had, he never, like I'm sitting here imagining him to be able to keep, I mean, we're in COVID times and people are complaining in this little bit of loss of freedom, yet you're you're telling me a story of your families, of our family, we have a shared history, you and I, of, of a man who is now in another camp after a death and still fighting for the freedoms and social justices of other people as well. Yeah. That is an yeah. amazing human. You are very blessed to come from your father. I, I am very, very proud of him. Uh, it, it was... Um... It was while he was in the camp, though, that uh, an incident happened that uh, that changed his opinion of some of the guards. Up until that, then he he was he was disgusted with the treatment they got from the guards, and he he thought it was practically inhuman. But he, because of this incident, he realized that. Some of them still showed some humanity, and then this was what happened to him. It was the, the 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 prisoners would line up every morning to go to work in the camp, and they had to cross a small creek which was fairly deep, and uh, and it didn't have a little bridge over the creek. They had only placed a couple of wide planks, and of course, the the, the guards that that were at the camp were elderly men. They were men that had been in the Canadian Army and fought in the Boer War in Africa for Canada and, and the British, of course, and uh, so. I imagine they were they were more aged than the prisoners. Anyway, uh, as they lined up, my father was last in line, and behind them came the the guard with his rifle and the bayonet. And when my father crossed, um, the guard who came last fell in. To the creek, and uh, my father looked at him, and he grabbed his his rifle and petrified the poor guard because he didn't know what he'd do with it. <laughs> and, and he pulled him out, and the two turned around and went back to the camp with my father carrying the rifle and and the guard walking in front of him, which was the opposite to the usual. But the guard was very, very um, reconnaissant. I mean, he knew that my father had done, 
done the, a, a, a wonderful act, and he was in ecstasy about him, and he praised him everywhere. And very soon after, he, he brought him a bag of oranges, something my father hadn't seen for years. And, and they started to talk. And every day, they would have a little chat with this guard. And gradually, my father got some confidence in, in, in this guard. And he asked him if he would take a letter that he had written to the government of Canada. And instead of, my father couldn't mail it from the, from the uh, camp itself because everything they wrote, be it in English or Ukrainian, was censored. And of course, he was, he was being critical of the care that they were getting in that, in that terrible camp too. So the guard agreed. And th this was a, a, a sort of a turning point for my father because about two or three weeks later, the guard, when he spoke to him, he said to him, and he called him Bill, Bill, move your bed because my father liked to sleep in this in this this uh, jail this building he would sleep facing the window he loved to get the morning sun on his face and look out and he said to the guard move your bed put it under the window and my father thought that was a rather strange request however he did it he put it under the window, and two or three days later, a shot came through the window, and it, it landed approximately where my father's head would have been had he been facing that window. Oh, my God, Anne. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a, 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 shock, a shocking thing. My, my father felt he had maybe saved the, the guard, but the guard saved his life. My father was never called in by the camp commander to, to speak about this shooting. And very soon afterward, he was, he was liberated. And, uh, he could go to, uh, he said he would go to, to Alberta to see the one brother that was left in Bruderheim, Alberta. But he wasn't yet a free man, you know. The guy, he was told he had to, before he went to Bruderheim, he had to go to the nearest, uh, it wasn't RCMP, but the nearest uh, police station uh, to tell them that he was in Alberta. And it was interesting, when I look at my father's liberation paper, it says he was P-O-W. He was a prisoner of war. They didn't use the word enemy alien on his release papers. And they never talked about the 25 cents a day my father was to get for every day he toiled with in the, in, in the concentration camp. Nothing was said. He had very poor clothing, but he was so happy to be able to leave. He had almost no money. Uh, they were given a little bit of money every month at the camp to buy things at the prison uh, store, like like cigarettes and chewing gum and, and maybe shaving, shaving cream or shaving equipment. Right. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, he, he thought, how can he get home? And the only thing he could think of was he would have to ride the rails. And he, he was liberated on the 9th of January, which is the coldest time of the year. 
So getting back to Alberta from Ontario must have been a terrible, terrible uh, adventure for him. It would have been terrible. Cold? Yeah, the cold. The clothing they had, he always said, was inadequate. And, and, and the shoes. He always talked about the shoes. They were always, uh, always uh, inadequate also. Uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. My grandparents always made us have good brogue shoes, they would call them. It was something in our family that, and now I'm hearing you and I'm going, that's why. My grandfather would always buy me shoes. And he said well, it's very important. And I, I bet that's why. I bet that's why. Yeah. And we always had shoes, too. You know? Right? I, I mean, we had a lot of problems in our lives uh, as children because, well, so I get kind of emotional. No, I, I know. I'm sitting here emotional too, Anne, because you're touching on things like I've held that tears um, myself because I'm like, I I don't have a window to my Guido's existence and him looking for my great uncle, but I only have. Did you ever try to look it up in, in Ottawa? I found him. I have found Stephen, Yvonne. His, they changed his name, like so. My grandfather's John Sanishin, but he was Yvonne, yeah, and they changed. That, that's like like my brother, my father's brother, uh, was Yvonne also, and John, and my father was Vasil with a V, not a W, Vasil. But they called him uh, William, and he, he liked that name. I I know he always wrote it with W M, never with just a W. He would write W M. I love that. Well, the, but Stephen's name was originally Ivan. It was Ivan Seneshin. And it was so they, you know, and I, I have my grandfather's letter here writing, looking. But it's not Ivan, it's Ivan. Ivan, right. So his, Ivan is John. Yeah, and then, English. okay, and then yeah. Stephen. What's Stephen in Ukrainian? Stefan. Stefan. So Stefan Seneshin was my great uncle. I mean, I have a picture of him when he left the camps and was going on to try to whatever leave and they never saw him after that day my guido gave my mom a photo he's my guido is six and stefan is 21 and he was the last day they ever saw him and they don't know what happened to him and that would have been 1920. did he was he liberated i think the story goes that he ran away. Well, you know, the last camp, were, were they in Kapuskis? I don't know, the last... That was the last camp open, you know, Kapuskising was. I don't know, I know... There were no other camps. He was in Castle Mountain, he was in Vernon, because he was in the Vernon camp. That's what the guy wrote from Vernon. Taxidermy wrote back to Megiddo and said he was last seen in Kamloops working on the rail in a in a construction camp okay so it was the vernon camp but we have i can't find any other trace other than my great auntie sophie talking about when my great grandfather came home from the camps but he had tb so he never worked again and stephen never came home and they don't know what happened to him he was never seen again and she describes in that time her having to try to support the family when the men were away and how she oh, was well, that was a big problem you know and the government knew it and you know in some cases they actually like in uh, in quebec it, at spirit lake they they uh uh imprisoned women and the children also you know that yeah uh, this is something we could we could i i you know one of the most horrible stories i found out when when we were uh looking through the archives you know was the fact that they had sent them from montreal to spirit lake in box cars and i thought to myself did hitler take advice you know concentration camps and box cars for their prisoners i agree with you and what i agree with you 100 percent 
it is a horrible thing because I, in my research, because that's how I met Andrea and then that's how I did that mural. And then when I found out and then my mom started to find the letters and I will talk to my uncle because there's still much more to discover. I was like, we did this before Hitler did. And we have judged yet, not we, us, our people were in turn, but we as Canadians, you know, this happened. And I'm going, why has that not been recognized? Um, well, we, for one thing, we did not, we did not have ovens and kill them when in the concentration camps, which is why they they, they worked in the concentration camps in Europe. But they, they, you know, and the Jewish people were were destroyed, you know. And but they the, had to learn that that for our people, they just had to work like slaves, you know. Well, death comes in many ways, though. You know, the death of freedoms. The death. Exactly. That was the one. That's what drove my father. The death of freedom. <laughs> the, the death of freedom. I, I never said that before. That, put it that way, but that's what it was. My, it was slavery. My dad said one, something to me one time when I was talking to my grandfather and my father. I also adored my father about all of this, and he would talk about histories. And he says, death is not the scariest thing here. Living is sometimes, and I get very emotional, living is sometimes harder than dying. Oh, it can be. And I would never, like, what happened to our Jewish people in this world is, is horrendous. But we have to stand for social justice and make our governments and our countries and those that have been given the stewardship of these lands, they must educate themselves so that this stops happening. And it's like it's still you know, we are the keepers of those stories, and I am so honored that you're speaking to me because those stories are not being told. You are speaking, and you are taking me back in time, and I'm just like, my my family lived this, yet they had no healing time, and Like, my mom has those memories trapped in her, and she can only, what does she do with them? And how do we teach our young people that this is humanity at its worst and humanity at its best? Your story about your father in the guard is a beautiful humanity that we must touch each other together to try to keep humanity alive. Well, you know, I, I wonder sometimes about why my father wasn't let go in 1918, you know, when, when they did close a lot of the, the camps. And why did they send him to this last camp? And why did they leave that last camp open, you know, till 1920, till June in 1920? Why did they do that? They, they had something against some of the prisoners. They weren't putting new, new immigrants in there anymore. These were the old ones. And I, I guess, it, it, and I think my father believed this too. He had been put there because he had... He had, uh, you know, been the cheerleader when when people went on strike, and you know when he started the committees, the the prison committees to try to to negotiate. Uh, they they called him a socialist, and that was a a word just like it is in in America and the United States right now. It was a dirty word, you know. I think, and I think that's why they didn't think of it as this is a human being that wants to help other human being beings. This is, he is a socialist, you know, and that's bad. I think it was his intelligence, because if you think about how smart he was and how resilient, I think the same, my Guido was a union man and started the union to protect all of the immigrant yes. coal miners. Yes. And I think that Stephen, I will find out, I will still do the research, I think Stephen and I, I'm going to keep looking at pictures because if Stephen was in Fernie Morrissey and in Castle Mountain because they're building our infrastructure of Canada. I, I'm going to look and see in, in the, 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 anything I have. The, their last name was, you said, Seneshin? Seneshin. S-E-N? Um, originally it was S-Y-N-S-H-Y-N. S-H-Y-N. Yeah, and so, but... When they... I'll see if, it, if in any of the papers that my 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 brother got from the archives in uh, Ottawa, 
to see if there's anything there that, because there, there are lists, like I have a, the list of the people that came from, uh, uh, from uh, Morrissey to Vernon. Because it would be interesting, and that's why I'd love to connect with my mom, because some of the family names, as she's starting, she remembers when, you know, she, she's going through, and she, my mom keeps lots of documents and different books, and and how each one was married to which one, and it goes back to the Cantors from Galatia, from this one village that brought this whole series of families, and now she has found other Seneshans that we thought maybe Stephen just disappeared, because if we can't find what happened, Andrea goes either he was killed, or yeah. he went as your father did and was taken to another place and chose to not ever show up again. It just it um, seems very. That's difficult to believe, though, isn't it? It's difficult to believe, uh, knowing my family and knowing how close the rest of them stayed. It doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Doesn't sound right, does it? No, it doesn't sound right, and no, and. He and I think he lost his life some way, and my Guido, I think, knew that, but my Guido's shame, I think, is what drove him to help. Now, I have a, my cousin plays fiddle, he's a, the BC ch fiddle champion, and he has a song that he wrote that is the sounds of the kitchen, and they would all play music in my Guido's kitchen. It now makes sense, and seeing myself as a little girl listening to the stories, that's yeah. what drove my grandfather to find them. Oh, you're lucky to grow up with music like that. <laughs> oh, I was. And my grand, my Guido could play the violin, the mandolin. My grandmother could sew anything. She could make anything. I am blessed in what I've done because it came from them. And this, when, when I started to do that mural and I, I got to do the research, I was like, I, like my one um, aunt was one of the first dairy farmers in Alberta. You know, there's so much history of talented people that were taken away that I didn't know. And I think the hard part is that right now we've lived a life, you know, we come from great people who were treated poorly, but I would have made so much sense to me if we had been educated about it because I would have understood my grandparents, the hardness. There was a hardness sometimes that I didn't understand. You know, and I think my mom didn't understand. So my mom didn't know that my family was interned. My grandfather had already died. So, you know, yeah. that hard stuff, if she would have known, maybe at the end, their relationship would have been different, you know? I don't know. Well, you never know. You, yeah. you just don't know. I, with my father, what I really remember with us as kids, he always told us stories. He'd make them up. Like he called them bikas. You know, oh, like fairy tales. Yeah. They weren't always fairy tales. <laughs> they were just stories about how the and in, I know that the good always won. You know, in the stories, and we would love it. And he had this, this. He was a smoker, and he had this, this smoker's voice. So it was sort of a low, warm, warm voice. Oh. I, I love. We loved to just sit there and listen. Uh, and uh, what was one of the stories he would tell you? Some of them were just, just the bikers that you hear. I don't remember them. I just remember the fact that he did it. You know? I don't remember some of the stories. But And, and some of this that I'm telling you, I, I, I did about my father. I, I, I never spoke to him about his uh, being uh, eight years old when he died. But he had spoken so much with my mother, and I did later on when I was older. I did question, and we did talk with my mother a lot, and he had told her so uh, probably everything oh, yeah. uh, about his his internment. I think. Oh know. yeah, like like how I talked to my husband. I never spoke to my Guido about this. He had passed by the time I learned this. So, yeah. but I have the stories from my aunt and my mom, you know, and my uncles and. The, the stories are still there, floating, ready for us to catch them, right? Yeah, yeah, they're still there. And, like, you really, this, your father, I just, I, I, you sent the picture. Andrea sent me a picture of him. His, his face, he has such strength in his face. Well, he was a strong man. In, the, in his, 
belief, what he thought was right. When was his birthday? Yes. What 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 year what day was he born? He was born on the fifth of April. Oh, he would have been strong Aries type. Very strong, strong. Yes, yes he was Aries. Yeah, so Aries and people. I have one of my one of my sons is an Aries too. They're very strong, very stubborn leaders. And stubborn, yes. Oh my goodness! Strong like, and stubborn. What they, what color eyes do you have? Do you who, brown? We're all brown, like my father. My my mother was blue, and we come from a blue brown uh, uh, combination. Us too. My 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 dad. We're all brown, all, except my brother, the boy in my family had blue eyes like my mother and the three girls were all brown eyed like our father isn't that crazy so i'm very blue eyed so my father had r french royal blue eyes they were crazy i don't know whether it was from his oh lucky i love them and black hair so my my dad i thought my dad was elvis presley <laughs> but oh, but my mom's side my ukrainian side my mom has these hazel eyes Everybody had these almost minty hazel eyes. I have my, yeah, I have my my father's very blue eyes. But, oh, you're very lucky. But my grandchildren, it's really funny. So I have these five grandchildren. My daughter married a beautiful German fellow with brown eyes, and all her children have these chocolate brown, I love chocolate brown eyes, but my granddaughter has these bright greeny olive eyes, and my two other grandchildren are bluish One's really, really blue and one green. And I just think, isn't that an amazing genetic mixture? I, yeah. Isn't it? It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, my daughter also has blue-green eyes, uh, more green than, than blue. And and the boys are brown-eyed, both of them. Yeah. It's interesting, it's isn't it? Well, that's, that's the part I like. I just I just think that that's where we're at because Canada is like a kaleidoscope. I think, oh, yeah. right? And we've all come here, and they and I think in COVID times, the government needs to now rebuild our economy. And I think what we're trying to do by pushing back and saying, the knowledge that you need to rebuild this country lives in the stories you have yet to support to happen. Build it. We have to build a new economy. I, I believe in we have to have a green economy now. Oh, you're right. You know, I really think so. It's the only way to go because of what we've done to our, our, our planet. Do you know that my, my Guido, I remember stories from all sides, including my husband's family, always talked about green. I have my dad's journals when him and my Czech grandfather were like working in the rivers or building a cabin, whatever they did as you know, when my dad was young, they always made sure things happened green. Like if we ever left anything in the woods or did anything, my dad, I mean, he taught us where the herbs were to eat. We collected mushrooms. We put back. We The green economy came with our indigenous people. But as we are indigenous to Ukraine and Czechoslovakia, where we are, those skills live in our fingertips, yeah. right? Yes. Yes. Green lives in us. The reason I think... Well, Oh, yeah, that was like, I mean, I can remember my Baba. She used to make these pink pears. And if I was a really well-behaved child when I went there, because I think I wasn't, I think I was a bit of a like to cut up things, like, you know, child, creative. But my my grandmother would make pickles and these pears and all her food in the root cellars because she always said, put things away. You've you got to always protect your food source. But she would open this jar of pears and they would smell like cinnamon and they were pink and I had to climb down the dusty hole under the house and there'd be maybe 10 jars and only on a really special occasion could you get one <laughs> and I could still taste them and you know and you had to clean the jar off and you honored because you knew how valuable the food was right yeah well I uh, we were we were lucky in so many ways you know oh, yeah I, I think anyway uh, my son is just here and he's, he's uh, 
Or tell him hello for me. Or tell him. Okay, so you go. This was lovely. And when you're ready, we can continue. And then we can put this all in a beautiful story. But I think you, these stories, Anne, are so important. Like I see a movie. That scene you said, I see it in a movie. So thank you so much for spending time today. You mean the last scene? Well, that just with the all yeah. of the, it's it's that's that needs. That is a terrible scene. <laughs> I mean the one with the shooting. Well, but and I the fact that nobody ever talked about him, talked to him about it. You know, it's all uh, of it. It's it's the river and the scene of humanity that two yeah. men could find the commonality between them in order to rise up and your yeah. father is a true champion in my heart so thank you for sharing that with me well i'm i'm proud to hear you say that i'm mean, just my heart is full we'll talk again okay take care and say hi to your son for me okay bye Anne. Bye -bye.